What four video games would you spend the rest of your life playing and why? That is the question my guests will be answering as we explore what these games mean to the gamers who play them. I'm Matthew Herlow and thank you for selecting the Your Lives in Gaming podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Your Lives in Gaming podcast. My guest this week is the man with the greatest name on Twitch, Cheese Reaver. How are we doing today? I'm doing well, uh, and I'm I'm glad you like it. I came up with it when it was when I was twelve, <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> I stand because by cheese, cheese is the most hilarious of things in the universe when you're 12 years old, and I had just played Legacy of Kane Soul Reaver. Uh, so I combined the two, and I've been the Cheese Reaver now for, good God, 23 years. Like I say, and I stand by it, best name on Twitch by a mile. Right, so as we say, you've already mentioned to me that you have listened to the show, so you have an idea of where we're going. But I do just... have a vague idea. <laughs> but yeah, just for anyone who might be listening for the first time, the basic premise of the show is Cheese Reaver has chosen four video games that he is going to be stuck on a desert island with until the end of time. Before I thought game... it was just till I died. It's just till I die, right? Die and a time, same difference in this scenario. Um... Fair enough. <laughs> Right, before we do get into your picks though, and you'll be aware of this, but we're going to play a little game called Dice to Meet You. So, very simple, I'm going to roll a 20-sided die, whatever number comes up, that's how many words you have to describe yourself. So, I love it, because I've been playing D&D since I was like 11, so I love it. (laughs) Right, so you got four. Four? Four words. Wow. Um, old man reclusive wanker. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna go with. I, I won't lie. I, I I totally stole the reclusive wanker thing from a British show called Black Books. Black Books is absolute classic. Love Isn't those. it though? That and the <laughs> IT crowd. I just I loved them both. They were amazing. Both very good shows. In fairness, I'm not surprised to hear it. Right. That, that was fairly simple, to be honest. So <laughs> let's get straight into it. What is your first pick? Okay, so before I, I go into the first pick, like I had to go into my mindset going into this. So these are the four games that I'm allowed to play for the rest of my existence. So a lot of it's going to be games I've already probably got a lot of hours in because, all right, I was able to play it for a thousand hours. Hopefully I can play it for you know, several thousand more, but then I had to cut out a few because, you know, I've got who knows how many hours in World of Warcraft, but if I'm alone on a desert island, World of Warcraft is probably not in the cards. Uh, (laughs) So with that thought process, my first pick is XCOM 2. Okay, this is the newer XCOM series, isn't it? Not the original, I'm assuming? Not the original, uh, and then not Enemy Unknown, the kind of the first new one, 
but like the newest of them. Well, except not Chimera Squad, which was like a little side story thing. <laughs> but just X- XCOM 2, and hopefully, hopefully, I also get the uh, the DLC that comes with it. No, I, don't <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't know if DLC comes with the territory. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why not? Why not? You can have the DLC right. as well. Give you plenty of awesome. games to play. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so, I guess first real question: Why this game? Um, so I love tactical gameplay. Uh, I, I don't know if, how familiar you or the listeners are with the XCOM series or tactical gameplay in general. You play it on basically a giant grid. Uh, your your characters can move a certain amount of certain distance, and then they get different angles on their gunshots and whatnot to determine their percent chances of hitting and things of that nature. And I really love that style of gameplay. And spoiler alert. This ain't the only one, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's just I, lo- I love the gameplay, um, and it's a, it's a game that while it's not actually a sandbox game, there is a built-in campaign that has a defined beginning and end to it. You can very easily make it kind of a sandbox game where you can just keep doing missions and it not really affect the overall anything. Okay. Um, so yeah. Like I said, longevity was definitely part of it, and I have like over two thousand hours in it on Steam. So <laughs> <laughs> that, that's always a sign of a game you like. I mean, you know, uh, it usually is. Uh, I mean, you know, your storyline is fairly basic. Um, the uh, aliens, well, so it actually continues at the end of XCOM One, um, but it turns out humanity lost that war, and aliens have ruled over the planet since. And XCOM 2 is you fighting back. Okay. Now, I will say, I am familiar with the series. I've got all of the original uh, variations. Uh, Uh, UFO defense and all that. Oh, yeah. Uh, Got them all. I love those, um, but they're just a little raw for my taste. No, I could definitely understand that. There's no no argument here for me on that front. (laughs) I've not yet played XCOM 2, though, from the newer series. Though one thing, both the originals and the newer ones, are somewhat infamous for, even if it's not entirely correct, is being brutally unfair to the player. Like, the you go into attack, it tells you you've got a 97% chance to hit. You're going to hit that shot every time. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yes, uh, especially like at higher difficulties, but really... So when it... When it says you have a 99% chance to hit something, it actually means you have about a 50% chance to hit something. Uh, but when the enemy has a 10% chance to hit you, they have a 75% chance to hit you. Uh, the numbers are all lies. Don't believe any of them. Uh, but especially at the higher difficulties, yes, uh, it is a brutal game. Uh, the difficulty can be pure brutality. Um, and you can actually, so a lot of people will get around it. Like, you know, like you said, you have a 97% chance to, to hit, but you miss. A lot of people will get around that by save scumming. You put a save, a quick save down right before you shoot. And then if you miss, you just reload and keep doing it. Uh, XCOM two has an option where you could turn that ability off to where if you missed that shot this time, it doesn't matter how many times you reload it. You're going to miss that shot. I, I'll be honest. I like that. <laughs> Yeah. Now you can turn that option off to where you can save scum, and each time you reload, you get a new random, you know, a new randomly generated number, and have different percent chance to to hit. Um, 
I'm not sure about having it as an option. I think, like, I, 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 I would agree. Just turn it off. Just <laughs> dan- dance with the girl that brung you. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I, I'm kind of like, I kind of wish they had it set up in such a way that you can't turn it off. That's it. That is the action you're going to get. Because, to be honest, as frustrating as I found the originals and the enemy unknown as well, something that I love about it is you know the game is going to dick you. Yes. You know from minute one, like in your first, I mean, in XCOM 2, in the tutorial mission, the very first mission, they're, they're just teaching you how to move around, how to shoot things. Three out of the four people in your party die. <laughs> I think that happens in Enemy Unknown as well. Only one person survives, like, the tutorial mission. And that kind of sets the tone for the whole game. <laughs> to be honest, I can't say I remember. It's been, like, I played it at release, and I haven't played it since. But it very much sounds like the exact sort of thing I expect from an XCOM game. Yeah, the br- brutal difficulty, but because of how brutal it is when you do finish it off and you if you do make that low percentage shot everything just feels amazing <laughs> see no i'm glad you said that because i was literally about to ask you if that's part of why you love it even though the game can be so harsh and brutal for seemingly no reason whatsoever oh absolutely because it's a built-in brutality it is designed around that because there are mods out there for XCOM that make those percentages much more realistic like it tells you you have a 97 percent chance you actually have it because it just messes with some of the the variables and they're not nearly as fun because like oh i have a 97 percent chance to hit him i'm gonna shoot that guy it's gonna happen like a 97 might as well be 100 no i want my 97 to be at best a 50 50 shot because when it when it works it feels so good so good Oh, definitely. I vaguely remember seeing something before about one of the devs for the game saying that that 97% is before any sort of like in-level modifiers are taken into account. So like their armor class, your chance to hit any terrain, anything like that at all. Yeah, and and with the newer, like with XCOM 2, there are ways you can make it even without mods, you can make it display in slightly different ways. You can have it just give you a percentage. You can have it give you a percentage, and it tells you, okay, because they're behind heavy cover, it's minus 40% on that. But because you're within three tiles of them, you get plus 10%. To, like, you can get it to straight up break it down for you. So, like, this is everything that is affecting the percent on that shot. Makes a lot Which of sense. is kind of neat, but also takes out some of the mystery of. Fuck you, game. That should have hit. <laughs> there is and, a lot of that in XCOM. And if anyone out there has never played XCOM and decides to play XCOM, within the first hour of playing, you will yell, fuck you, game. That should have hit. <laughs> it will happen. Just deal with it. I'm gonna 100% <laughs> agree with you on that, because I am definitely sure that I've said it, and I, 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 to be honest, I can't think of a game that I've ever, like, raged at, but XCOM definitely makes me just go fuck you, game, you fuck. <laughs> fuck you! <laughs> or And then, of course, in addition to hit, all of your damage rolls are also, it'll tell you, you're going to do between three and six damage when you shot that guy. If he's got four health, you're doing three damage. I don't care how many times you shoot him. 
It might tell you you're doing between three and six. If he's got four health, you're doing three. It's happening. And then he is going to crit you. <laughs> yeah, you know it's coming. Because that's exactly how the game treats you throughout. But when it happens, you still are just like... You're just as mad. <laughs> you, you, are, you know it's coming. You see the fucking coming. And it doesn't matter. You, you, you know it's coming. You're just as mad. And yet you keep playing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's not the sort of game you're going to put any serious time into if you can't handle the game being unfair to you. I think that's fair to say about it. Yes, if you are used to these games that kind of hold your hand and are nice and fair and all of that, the XCOM series is not for you. And if I mean, you want a game that is going to shove it in and break it off, <laughs> try XCOM. <laughs> no, in fairness, I, I, I think that pretty much puts it exactly on point. And I know I'm, we might find out with your other pick, whatever it may be, that's in the same genre. But within the genre, there is definitely games that play very similarly, but are a lot nicer to you. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I do, I love those too. Honestly, I just, like I said at the very beginning, I love the grid-based tactical combat. Uh, yeah. It's just, it is one of my favorite types of games. I can understand, definitely. I, Pla I wouldn't... Platformers are nice, first-person shooters are nice, I love tactical combat. No, I can't fault it. I mean, I wouldn't put it in the same regard myself, but it is definitely a style of game that I have always been happy to try something new, play a different game, you know, whatever it may be. You know, I won't get too much into what other games within the same genre, but definitely, definitely a style that I personally also love to play. So, keeping on XCOM 2 for a second, what... Okay. What what makes you pick number two over Enemy Unknown? Because yes, it's the newer game, but in terms of advancements, things that have changed between the games, is there anything there that really makes you think no XCOM two is the one? Uh, honestly, and hopefully this counts for the purposes of the experiment. Uh, <laughs> it's because so. XCOM and XCOM 2, both of them, they have a mod called The Long War. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but you can complete a normal game of XCOM 2 in five or six hours if you're, you know, if you're just playing real steadily and you keep a decent clip, right? Okay. Uh, the Long War takes every mission you do, well, not every mission, it's because, you know, I don't know how to put it. Basically, it makes the game so much longer, but adds so much depth to everything. XCOM, XCOM 2 has five classes. You can, you know, you can be a ranger with a shotgun and a sword. You could be a sniper. You could be a gunner with like a Gatling gun. Uh, you could be a medic. Like that. That's that's kind of it. Uh, Long War breaks everything into a bunch of parts. You got like nine classes, each of them very specialized. Uh, but it adds a lot more to the tactical gameplay. And now, XCOM 1 also had a Long War mod. But XCOM 2's just mostly quality of life improvements. I'll, I'll just put it that way. It's uh, They made a squad system to where instead of me having to go through my whole list of units and pick out which units I'm going to send on a particular mission, I can be like, all right, you're, you, you six, you're Alpha Squad. If I pick Alpha Squad, you six are going. 
five pick Bravo squad. You six are going like, honestly, it's mostly that. Um, I love both of the games. Uh, I would happily, honestly, replace XCOM 2 with XCOM uh, Enemy Unknown and wouldn't feel bad about it. And don't think I would lose too much. So it may just be that. No, and I it's prettier. So. The old one <laughs> is, you know, it, it's, it shows its age. I think it came out in 09 on Enemy Unknown. I, I don't know the exact date, but, you know, graphically, it shows its age a little bit. No, that's fair. And, I mean, I can definitely see why little quality of life improvements like that would put it over Enemy Unknown, because little things like that, they allow you to get into the game quicker. And Yes. That means you're playing more at the end of the day. You're playing more, and, well, you're still getting that brutal difficulty if you want it. <laughs> yeah. brutality is really what it's all about. With this game, no doubt at all. Now, anything else about XCOM 2 specifically you'd like to chat about? Uh, I think we've covered most of it, but we covered the brutal difficulty, the sandbox, but not technically sandboxy. Oh, and the Long War mod that I was talking about makes it even more sandboxy, because instead of the game taking, you know, six to eight months of quote-unquote in-game time... It takes years upon years because it just increases the amount of time everything takes, no, that's uh, which just adds more sandboxiness to it. Okay, well, one thing I will say about XCOM 2, the the game cover, the poster for it, is probably one of my favorite covers of quite some time, nice. to be honest, that the alien made up of the skulls. You're going to make me actually look up the XCOM 2 cover because I'm trying to remember it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. I'm yeah. Saying, yes. The, it, the, the thin man alien face yes. made up of human skulls. Yeah, it's very simple, but I really liked it. And like what you mentioned with the story earlier, it lets you know from the start that the aliens got you. Yeah, they won. Which is weird because I played through XCOM 1 and I won. <laughs> And then I get to XCOM 2, and they're like, no, you didn't. You didn't win. <laughs> well, you know, canonical versus what you do is definitely an issue in a lot of games. Absolutely. Uh, and honestly, the fact that humanity lost the first one, you know, canonically, that appeals to me. Because while I love a good story where good overcomes evil and all that fun stuff, Occasionally, humanity should lose, because otherwise, everything's just one-sided. <laughs> no, that's fair. <laughs> Can't argue with that. So, let's move on from XCOM 2, then. And let's just jump straight into your second game, then, please. Alright, so my second pick. Um, it's even more sandboxy, uh, and honestly, most people would consider it just a truly sandbox game, is RimWorld. I have definitely heard of it. I, I'm probably going to be one of those games that, as you start talking about it, I'm going to think, oh, I know this, yeah, yeah, okay. So, might as well just jump straight into it. Oh, well, the premise of RimWorld is you control a group of people, uh, anywhere from one rich guy with some robots to five tribal guys or three kind of normal space space technology people, and you have crash-landed on one of the RimWorlds. You are far enough away that nobody's coming to rescue you. It's not happening. So you have to build a colony, uh, and other people will sometimes crash on the planet. There will be other civilizations on the planet that you can trade with or go to war with or what have you. Um, 
the theoretical end goal is to build yourself a ship to get off the RimWorld. I have over 3,000 hours in RimWorld, and I have never built a ship. <laughs> you know, it's a colony game, so, you know, this guy's going to be your doctor. This guy's going to be your, your cook. Uh, these guys are going to be your miners or your woodcutters or whatever. And then, you, you know, you design your base. Uh, and then you research new technologies. Like, you, you know, you start with just basic wood-fired generators, but eventually you can have nuclear plants and hydroelectric dams and all kinds of cool stuff. So, uh, are we talking a similar style to something like a Civilization game, for example? Sort of, but think of more in real time. Okay. It, it, it's a real-time game. It's not turn-based. Okay, so kind of like somewhere between that and old-school Command & Conquer. Yeah, kind of in the way... It's a colony simulator, but also kind of an... It's not an RTS, but it, it shares some similarities with it. I don't know. It's just... It's a weird game, but it's a lot of fun, and... You get to pick a difficulty anywhere from peaceful, where like nobody ever attacks you or anything, to merciless, where you're going to die. And then they have what they call storytellers. And uh, there's three of them. There's a, a chill one, uh, kind of a normal one, and then a random one. Uh, and then that, de that determines how long they take between what random events show up, you know, pirates attacking you, a group of polar bears showing up and deciding to join your colony, you know, whatever. There, there's events in the game. And your storyteller determines how often and what kind of events happen to your to your colony. Anything from a group of huskies that try to join your colony to, oh, there's nuclear fallout, toxic nuclear fallout. Anybody who's outside for more than an hour is going to die. You better, you better hope you've got your hydroponics set up or you're going to starve to death. And then there's a weird thing in the RimWorld community, uh, because you can be a cannibal in the game, you can make human leather, like you can butcher people and make human leather clothing and and such. There's this weird thing in the RimWorld community that anytime pirates attack you, you should kill them all and, you know, butcher them and turn them into hats. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a weird little game. It's a lot of fun. I like uh, kind of Sim City type games, uh, that kind of simulation colony slash city building type stuff. It's it's all that shoved into one, and then add murder to it. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I'm kind of thinking of. Do you remember the old game Pharaoh? Pharaoh, I don't think I do. Okay, because you're kind of making me think like it's just a much more advanced version of that, which would make sense because I'm pretty sure Pharaoh's from the 90s. But uh, I'll be honest, I have heard of the game. I know you know, I know it's on Steam Workshop, so, and that, so I'm guessing there's a lot of mods available for it as well. Oh, there's a, there's a ton of mods. Uh, you know, a lot of them are as simple as adding, you know, pants or hat or... And then some of them are, you know, complete overhauls of fundamental functions of the game you know uh like there's one that adds bathrooms like in game there's there's not any but you know there's a, there's a mod that makes it where you have to drink water you have to shower occasionally <laughs> you have to have bathrooms in your colony uh okay no I, i'll be honest i like this you you are selling this game to me because i i love those city builder colony style games i won't lie I'm usually terrible at them. 
Everybody's uh, terrible at RimWorld. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like the game for me then. But uh, yeah. like City Skylines is one. I absolutely love that game as a city builder. But whenever my, let's say, town starts to become a city, I just fall apart. That's it. I Stuff is going to go wrong. Something's going to burn down. There's going to be crime. In there. I'm just notoriously bad at that style of game. But I love them. Well, RimWorld does have the benefit of once you have, I believe it's five colonists, anybody that comes and asks to, to join you, you can tell them no. So you can keep it at like five colonists. <laughs> I think below that, they just have some people that just randomly show up and are like, hey, I'm part of your colony now. Cool. <laughs> oh, I like that. And I mean, it's, it's, it's got things like, you know, if you if raiders from another colony attack you, you can capture some of them, imprison them, and either execute them, let them go, or you can try to actually recruit them to your side. Okay, no, this is definitely something like the kind of game I need to give a go. I believe everyone should give RimWorld a go. Uh, and then each of your colonists, you know, they have stats on how good they are at cooking and mining and, you know, being a doctor and dealing with animals and all that kind of stuff. They also have traits, things like, you know, jogger, so they move faster than most people because they jog everywhere. Or things like pyromaniac. They can't fight. They can't be firefighters, and occasionally they'll just start starting fires around your <laughs> around your base. <laughs> well, I mean, at the end of the day, if I'm playing any sort of city builder, somebody's got to burn something down, or it's not me playing. Don't worry. the The events that I was talking about occasionally there'll be things like flash storms, just a dry thunderstorm where lightning will just hit like an area. And anything that's flammable in that area, it's going to be on fire when they're done. This is so the game for me, I've got to say. Yeah. The events are amazing. Sometimes uh, ships will crash that have eight, like mechanoid aliens on them. And they don't touch you at first, but they slowly but surely start killing all life within a certain radius of the ship crash, and it keeps growing. So you have to eventually do something about it. <laughs> and then... As soon as you shoot the ship, eight aliens will pop out of it, two of them with rocket launchers, and the others with, you know, scyther blades, and they'll murder you, and it's great. It's great fun. <laughs> I'm noticing a pattern so far. Both your previous pick and this one sound fairly punishing games. Brimworld is less punishing, uh, because, like, I mean, XCOM and XCOM 2, they let you know what you're in for when it comes in. Uh, but RimWorld, it lets you pick how punished you want to be. Because okay. if you pick a lower difficulty and one of the more chill storytellers, a lot of your events will be good stuff. Like, oh, a trading caravan showed up from this other place, and corn is raining from the sky for a little while. Like, <laughs> Well, you, occasionally cargo pods will land, and they'll have, like, resources in it. And sometimes it's, you know, corn or meat or wood or, you know, just different things. And nope. if you're playing a lower difficulty with some of the with different ones, you have a better chance of getting kind of the positive events. But then when you start playing on, well, his name is Randy Random. He is my favorite storyteller of the th <laughs> uh, of the ones you get to choose. And it doesn't matter which difficulty is, it's random. He doesn't care about how long it's been since the last event he sent you or anything like that. Just every now and then he'll decide. Boom! I'm going to send whatever. One thing I do want to ask there, just from the examples you gave. Is corn raining down one you've actually had? 
Sorry, when I said raining corn, I meant the cargo pods will land from the sky, and there will be corn in them. So, <laughs> no, I've never actually had it rain corn, which would be really cool, and there might be a mod out there that's capable of doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, if not, somebody needs to get on it, because I thought that sounded pretty awesome as well, to be honest. Sometimes, because you get to pick like what biome you're going to you're going to try to survive in, from a desert, different types of forests, just plain grasslands, uh, sea ice. Like, you know, sometimes if you're in one of the colder climates and you're running low on food, corn from the heavens will save your colony. <laughs> and sometimes it'll be you know pirates in power armor and they will murder you. <laughs> Especially if you've chosen Randy Random. Especially if you've chosen... Actually, Randy Random likes to send both at the same time. He'll be like, hey, here's some corn. Oh, also, here's a raid. Good luck getting that corn. So, <laughs> how exactly does combat work in this, then? Okay, uh, so your characters have a shooting skill and a melee skill, right? So you can either give them guns, anything from like primitive bows up to laser rifles. And there's just a whole continuum of guns in between. And then with your melee weapons, it can be anything from a stick to a plasma sword, uh, and kind of anywhere in between. Um, and then it's 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 all percentage based. Like, all right, you know, I have a melee skill of this number, and I'm using wielding this type of sword, so I have a this percent chance to hit whatever I'm attacking. It's hard to explain how the combat works, but it's also combat that once you see it once, you're like, oh, okay, I gotcha. That's fun. But then when, like, you're shooting, if you build your base right, uh, you can either build, like, sandbags to stand behind while you're shooting to make it where you have, a, you know, less chance of getting hit by people shooting back at you. Or you can actually, like, build walls with gaps in them, and you'll lean out from the side of the wall and shoot at people to make it where you're less likely to get murdered. And sometimes all of the alpacas on screen will be driven mad with bloodlust all at once, and they will kill all of your, your colonists if you don't kill them first. Okay, so... <laughs> Seeing as we mentioned that, I'm guessing there is sort of like native animals rocking around the planet when you start as well. There are. Uh, yeah, there are, there are native animals. Uh, some of them are like, you know, normal type things like uh, dogs and antelope and deer and stuff. And then there's things like muffalo, which are giant woolly mammoth kind of things. Uh, and then there are a bunch of mods. A lot of the mods, what they do is add more animals. And there are weird ones like, you know, People riding around on dinosaurs and things of that nature in some of the mods. Uh, well, I mean, if I don't want to ride around a dinosaur. I mean, that's fair. But yeah, so they're and they're animals, and you can hunt them. You get you get to get meat and uh, fur, so you can build. You know, you can eat and uh, build clothing and such. And then there are native plants. Usually, there's like almost all the areas have like wild plants that you can harvest, but you really want to get your farming going because otherwise, you're going to starve to death. <laughs> Fair enough. Good tip. Start the game. <laughs> yeah, pro tip: get your farming going early, or you will starve to death. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, and it's just it, it's great fun, especially when you get weird things. Sometimes the storytellers will just do weird things together. Like you'll get a caravan from some other civilization; they're trying to come sell you weapons or whatever. And then you'll get a pirate raid at the same time, and they'll fight it out between each other. And then you only have to fight who's left. <laughs> And then sometimes they decide, no, we're both all just going to go kill you, because <laughs> reason. <laughs> well, I mean, you you clearly have the most resources if they're just raiders. I mean, true. Uh, and then, uh, so that you can also, 
So you have your civilization that you're, you know, your colony that you're building. There are other colonies on the planet, and you can do like diplomacy with most of them. Most of them, you can, you know, if you trade with them enough, you'll become allies with them, and they won't, they won't attack you, and you can maybe call them when you're getting raided. But every planet has certain factions you can't become allies with. There's always, like, there's always some pirate faction. It doesn't matter what you do, they will never be on your side. It makes sense gameplay-wise, because they want to make sure you can always be raided by somebody. Because if you could just remove all raiding, then that removes a lot of the consequences from the game. Makes a lot of sense. So, as I've said, I don't really know a lot about this game. Tell me something else about this game. Sell it to me with something you haven't talked about yet. Um, okay. So, when you're first starting up your colony, it, it randomly generates a planet for you to be on, and then you get to pick what biome you're in. Some of them will have lots of mountains on them, some of them won't have any. So, a real common strat for people who are newer at the game is to find a mountainous area and then kind of build your base into the mountain. That way you've only got one direction anybody can attack you from and all that. Seems sound from a tactical perspective. Yes. The problem is, if you do that, occasionally you will get what are called infestations. If you dig too deep under the mountain, bugs will infest your entire base from within the mountain. And these bugs are like giant spiders that will kill you. So we're not talking about uh, being little, like it's a little, you know, infestation you've got to deal with. No, it is. they're literally called megalo spiders. <laughs> uh, and they, they will, they'll, yeah, they'll spawn hives inside your base. <laughs> and I played back when it was in the alpha, and that wasn't in the alpha. The the infestation, the bugs were, but you could just randomly find them in caves and stuff. So the, I mean, really, what you did was you dug inside of a mountain. You made sure you only had one entrance to your base. You set up all your defenses at that entrance, and you didn't have to worry about it, really. No longer the case. Uh, And then, I I mean, the best way I can sell it to you is, is one of the, for a long time until it was patched out, one of the most common strategies for dealing with, like, an incoming raid was to build just a long hallway, just a long kind of winding hallway at your one entrance to your base. As soon as their, their whole army was in this long hallway... Uh, close off both ends with a wall and throw a Molotov inside and let them slowly cook to death. <laughs> because the temperature would just keep rising and eventually they would die. Fair enough. You, you had to put a couple of pieces of wood furniture in the... Uh... <laughs> yeah, you had to have something to burn. <laughs> no, fair enough. So that's been patched out then. Uh, well, now they are... It's not completely patched out. It can still work, but it's much harder to get it to work to the point where it used to. Uh, they're more likely to just mine their way through the nearest wall that breaks the breaks the seal on the room. Okay. Pretty much. I, I, I like that. That's it's a perfectly reasonable way to get around it without taking it away from the players, as it were. Yeah, it's not gone. It's just if you don't build it just right now, it's... They made it harder, because it used to be literally just, you know, a, a, a serpentine stone walkway. You shut off both sides, throw a Molotov in, and they were just going to stand there and run around in circles and die. They didn't even try to, like, break their way out or anything. Okay. I like it. I can't lie. I'm probably going to come off this recording and buy that game, because I really want to uh, play it now. Oh, I, I guess I could give you one more thing to sell it. Uh, the most <laughs> recent patch added royalty to the game. So what it is, is you can do things for each of the RimWorlds now has, like, a king and stuff. And you could do stuff for him, and one of your colonists will get royalty points. Or, I forget exactly what they're called, but basically royalty points. 
you can make them a royal, which gives them certain benefits. They start getting psychic powers and shit like that, which is cool. But if you make them a royal, like, you know, hey, you're a duke now. Well, then I'm not cleaning anymore because I'm a duke. And I, <laughs> like, they'll start refusing to do certain types of work if you make them a royal. They have awesome abilities, which is great, but you now have one less guy to cook dinner. To be honest, I'm really liking the sound of this. I'm going to have to give it a go. I've only heard good things about it from the people who have mentioned it to me. It's amazing. This has 100% sold me on it. And it has amazing amounts of replayability and longevity, because each game, even if you pick the same settings at the beginning, you're going to get different events, so you're going to get a different story. That was one of my major picking points on picking my games for this was making sure I had longevity in these games because I have to play them until I die. (laughs) (laughs) No, definitely makes a lot of sense. I see the logic in it. So let's move on from Rimworld. Before we do go on to your third pick, a question that you're going to have some idea is coming, but what is your first memory of gaming or what got you hooked on gaming uh, so, 1989, I was four years old. My grandparents bought a Nintendo Entertainment System with the Mario Duck Hunt combo cartridge for Christmas, ostensibly for me, my brother, and my sister. Really, my brother and I are the only ones that ever got any usage out of it. But I remember that day at four years old, getting it hooked up on my grandparents' TV, old black and white TV, and loading up Super Mario Brothers for the first time. Just losing my shit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Of course, they got it, and my parents played it first, because we were going to break it or something, even though it was theoretically given to us. (laughs) (laughs) And my parents are the ones that, like, when they're playing Mario, if Mario's going to jump, the controller's going to jump with him. (laughs) They're going to lift the controller and will Mario over the pit. Uh, And I remember watching my mother do that and while she was playing and it was and i've I've been hooked ever since i uh i had that um i stupidly skipped the super nintendo because i got a genesis because hey 32 bits is better than 16 right yeah i i lost that uh no in fairness there's a lot of good content in the genesis but there is, but it cannot compare them. to the Super Nintendo. No, there like, is yeah, so much. Yeah, it has some great games, but the, that that era of Super Nintendo gaming was just... Now, I did hop on the correct side of the fence when it came to the PlayStation 1 versus the Nintendo 64. So, As a lover of JRPGs, I picked the PlayStation 1 and never regretted my choice. No, that's fair. I mean, I was very fortunate. We had both and the PS2 and the GameCube, basically all of them, up until <laughs> we reached an age basically where we're now buying our own consoles. Uh, but as much as I love the N64 and some of the games that I've got for it, you know, Ocarina of Time is one of those games that I... It, it's a class. Yeah, and I remember spending hours upon hours trying to do the smallest things in it. But yeah. ultimately, I'm with you. The PS1, it's got the better overall selection of games to go for. It does. Now, I will say, if you take their like their top games, they compare really well with each other. 
but the catalog on the PS1 is just oh, no it's bad. just killer. Like yeah, Ocarina of Time is an amazing game. Majora's Mask, amazing. Mario 64, amazing. And then you start getting into Quest 64. <laughs> Castlevania 64. No, you are Their absolute need to put 64 at the end of everything. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of titles on the Super Nintendo that insisted on starting with Super, but they were You know what, that's, that's fair. <laughs> Most of them, though, at least lived up to the hype. That, that's fair, <laughs> definitely. I mean... You are probably going to be the first and last person to mention Quest 64. <laughs> I, I hope that I am, because no one should remember that game. I have to remember it, but nobody else should. <laughs> I, so I had a PlayStation, but a buddy of mine had it in 64. And occasionally, we would just trade consoles for, like, I'd borrow his N64 in his games, he'd borrow my PS1 in my games. So I did get some of the N64 experience. I got to play Ocarina of Time on the N64 and, and Super Mario 64 and just, you know, had a great time. Well, one of the games he had was Quest 64. <laughs> <laughs> this is... Quest 64 is one of those games where it always feels like nobody actually owned it. It was always a friend that owned it. You gave it a try and you just don't understand why it exists. Yes, it is a game that has no purpose. There's no reason for that game to be. I do want to move on slightly. I'm going to throw a question at you. If you <laughs> could return to any era in gaming, when would you choose? PlayStation 1 JRPG era. Not even close. Fair enough, fair enough. Final Fantasy 7, Final Fantasy Tactics, Saga Frontier. Uh, I mean, just hell, even just that era of Squaresoft games, and I'd be happy. <laughs> like, it, I don't even need the rest of them. Just that era of Squaresoft games. I'm, I'm not going to say that Square <laughs> Enix games have been completely terrible, but I do They've been feel... a step down. It's yes. been a major step down. There's a huge difference in the attachment, I feel, to the old Squaresoft games versus the newer Square Enix games. Yeah, because I mean, if you think about it, FF6, 3, whatever you want to call it, Super Mario RPG, FF7, FF8, FF9, FF10, that game was amazing. Yeah, it was on the PS2 instead of the PS1, but still, that game is amazing to this day. Uh, Yeah, I'll be honest, 10 (laughs) was the last one that I was like, I love this game. Uh, Um, I think I'm in the same boat. For me, but still love the game regardless. But uh, I have a weird love-hate relationship with Nine. I love Nine as a game. I hate Zidane as a protagonist. <laughs> no, that's fair. I, I can go with that. <laughs> I don't think any part of his character or story gets good until you get to the very end game. Where, yeah. you and know, now, he does have planets. one of the best tracks in Final Fantasy history, though. You Were Not Alone, FF9. That is an amazing track. That's fair. That though there is stacks of quality music throughout the Final Fantasy series. There's no oh, denying yeah. that. The, 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 what they did with the Super Nintendo sound engine for the Final Fantasy games, I, I don't know how. Then again, <laughs> you know what? 
I, I say I don't know how, but you know what? The Mega Man people have been doing it since Mega Man 1, and they put out banger after banger after banger, and I don't know how. No, nope, that is definitely fair. <laughs> Mega Man is just... Oh, the it's in a league of its so own. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in terms of like the quality of the music, especially, as you say, when you go back to Mega Man 1 with the 8-bit sounds, it is years ahead of what it should be. Years. You have eight noises to make. How in the hell did you do that? And yet, <laughs> every one of those tunes is amazing. And, uh, but yes, going back to the original question, the PS1 <laughs> JRPG era. No, that's fair. Uh, because and... there's just so many good ones. Yeah, and in fairness, you were straight in on that, so I'm <laughs> definitely going to feel that you're very confident in being happy there. So. Oh, absolutely. Uh, just so many good ones. And you know what? If I get to kind of take 95 and 2000 with it to where I get to grab FF6, Super Mario RPG, and FF10, you know, that wouldn't be so bad either. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it it was a later release, but there there was a Final Fantasy VI release on the PlayStation, so... True, yeah, but that port, that port is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> It is. It adds a bunch of loading times, and it's just... Well, look, that's the only way you're going to get Final Fantasy VI in this scenario, so... You know what? That's fair. I'll I'll, I'll take what I have to take. I think that, that what, 5 and 6, I think both, that, that came in a package, and then yes. Chrono Trigger came with something else. Maybe yeah, four. That makes sense. Because they released kind of like two anthologies. One of them had, I think, 5 and 6, and I think the other one had Chrono Trigger and 4. That would make a lot of sense. I remember having the 5 and 6 one. I don't remember owning one with Chrono Trigger, but... Or maybe I mean, Chrono Trigger was just released by itself as a port. Possibly. I mean, it's a fantastic Also, as my, as my secondary choice for this, if I, if I don't... If somehow, you know, Meteor hit Squaresoft in 1996 and the PlayStation 1 JRPG era didn't happen, I would pick the Super Nintendo. JRPG. <laughs> it's very much just Squaresoft and Nintendo instead of Squaresoft on PlayStation for the most part. Pretty much. Uh, there's a couple other smaller gems in there, but it's uh, but it's great. Oh, well, I guess if picking mine, when I, what I did, I also would get the original Paper Mario on the N64, and that game was amazing. Yeah, that's true. That is a great game. Thousand Year Door is one of my favorite RPGs of all time. There we go. Right, let's move back onto the main subject for this, and <laughs> let's go to your third pick, please. All right, so this one, more so than my fourth pick, because I kind of wanted to keep the fourth pick for fourth. This is the one that I waffled the most on out of all of these picks. Because okay. it feels a bit generic, but it's also a game that I enjoy every time I play it, and I have a ton of hours in, and that's going to be Skyrim. Fair enough. Like, so... it feels generic to be a person like me and be like, man, Skyrim is so good, and I have a ton of hours in it, I'd play it forever. But it's a great game. <laughs> I know, it is, definitely. Uh, I mean, obvious first question again, why Skyrim? There are so many things to do in that game. Uh, so many different ways you can build your character. So many different, just, you know, 
take a left instead of a right when you're on some quest and you get taken off into different cities and towns and villages and mines and there's just there's so much to explore in that game and so many different ways you could build your character that it's got so many combinations that you could spend a lifetime just replaying it in different ways. And yet uh, every time, no matter what I start as, I end up as a stealth archer. <laughs> but I know I'm not the only one. No, you are not. I'm pretty sure Punk said the exact same thing. <laughs> Alright, I'm going to be a heavy armor, black magic, you know, evocation magic user. Why am I shooting this thing from this far out with a bow? What's going on? When did this happen? It comes out of nowhere, it sneaks up on you, and boom, you're a stealth archer. No, definitely. I will say I do try as hard as I can when I start that game to stick with whatever I decide I'm going with. Like, I remember one playthrough where I made the decision that I was going to be a mage. I was going to run two spells on each, you know, sorry, a spell on each hand, and I was not going to go down the road of bows, ranged weapons, swords, anything like that at all and i went really really far and then i got to the end game sort of area and all of a sudden i was running around with a bow stealth archer thing, so <laughs> it's too good of a build it is too good it is too efficient it is definitely the op build of that game no doubt in my mind and I've even downloaded mods that try to make it less OP, and it still is. <laughs> uh, the thing is, if you can hide from things and shoot them from a range in any other game, you're not going to do it. But for Skyrim, I will stealth the hell out of the whole thing. Absolutely. And this game, so I picked Skyrim. I was really close to picking Morrowind instead of Skyrim. <sighs> Kind of for the same reasons, um, but Morrowind also doesn't have just that one super OP build to it. <laughs> but honestly, what what made me settle on Skyrim over Morrowind is Skyrim's just bigger. It's, it's just bigger, and Morrowind is not without its flaws. Its level-up system is not good. Well, I mean, <clears throat> I would argue it's just more traditional than not good, but fair enough. I, I just have a problem with, okay, I don't have a problem with, okay, I, you know, I, I swung my sword a lot this level so I can up my strength more than my charm or whatever, right? That part I don't have a problem with. Problem is, upping your charisma, there's like two skills that use charisma. Like no, bartering that's... and, actually it might have just been bartering. Yeah, that's fair. There is definitely an imbalance between them there. I, I'll give you that, definitely. Uh, it could use with a little variation on that front. But... Right. Not I to think... say Skyrim's is perfect, because, you know, the, oh, you picked, you want stamina, mana, or HP, is also, eh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, Skyrim, let's be honest, the real tactic there is go make a bunch of iron daggers, level yourself way up there, and have fun bit. Yes. So. Find every speck of iron you can. Make a bunch of iron daggers. Level up your blacksmithing. Then sell all of those daggers. Level up your barter. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's exactly how it goes. And now, before you know it, you haven't even left Whiterun yet, and you're level 18. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I suppose, talking about it, that 
In fairness, Oblivion does strike a good middle ground on that front, but it does. I also don't um, feel it's as good a game overall. I would agree with that. I also, honestly, I have not played Oblivion nearly as much as I've played Morrowind and Skyrim. Um, I was off at college when Oblivion was the big shit, and it kind of... I was doing other stuff. <laughs> Fair enough. And by the time I came back to it, I mean Skyrim's been out for what eight years now, maybe more. I don't know. I don't know so when Skyrim came out. It's been out a long while. <laughs> Skyrim's been out a good long while. Um, but yeah, it's just, honestly, I just kind of missed the Oblivion window. The one thing I will say with Oblivion is if you go like you know through old internet forums, whatever, looking for the best mods, for example, all of the best mods just became features in Skyrim. And that's something Skyrim did a lot. Like, yeah, it have its problem, of course, but it did a lot of stuff right, too. Oh, definitely. I mean, there's a reason people can put so many hours into it and still find new stuff. Every little weird cave has a story in it, basically. Like, you're like, oh, it's some mine, whatever. No, inside that mine, you're going to find somebody's diary, and he and his girlfriend ran away to elope, but then they had to hide in the in the mine because of a storm, and it turns out that there are snow elves in the uh, there are Falmer in the in the mine. Like it, like you get a story out of every cave. No, that's true. There is very little in that game that doesn't have something in terms of lore or story behind it, and, uh, and that's something that I really enjoy, and something that I kind of I appreciate that they because. Oblivion and Morrowind have that to a degree, but not the same as Skyrim, because honestly, that's kind of more of a Fallout thing as far as every little cave has something unique about it. It's like Fallout 3, that kind of stuff. And Fallout 3 is an amazing game. It's just too short. (laughs) (laughs) And almost impossible to get running on modern hardware. My, (laughs) My Fallout opinions have been voiced on multiple episodes so i won't go too far down that road but (laughs) i I do know exactly where you're coming from uh one thing with skyrim that i i it still tickles me to this day my first playthrough uh i've mentioned this before but i am 100 percent the sort of person that i am going to go and find absolutely everything i can possibly do outside of the main story. Now, oh, absolutely. (laughs) Now, on my first playthrough through Skyrim, uh, you know the dragon shouts, the Fusroda, all of that? Mm -hmm. I was about 80 hours into the game before I got the first one. I have a tendency, when I, you know, if if I start a new one, I do just enough into Whiterun, you know, get the first Fus, have them say, oh, the Greybears have summoned you to the peak, and then I'm never going to that damn mountain. That's just... <laughs> <laughs> like, no. I got too much other stuff to do to go than go talk to some old people on a mountain somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. Ever since that first playthrough, exactly the same. But that first playthrough didn't even find out about Fusruda until I was 80 hours into it. And it still tickles me to this day because it would have. You must have. A lot you must have time. turned left outside of uh, the town instead of right. I wouldn't be I'm, surprised. I'm told. I've never actually done it, but I'm told basically if 
when you're playing it, you know, you have to escape the town that the dragon attacks at the very beginning, whose name starts with an H, but I don't remember the name of it. Regardless, and you're supposed to, like, follow a guy over to Riverwood. Take a, You take a right on the road. Apparently, if you take a left, completely different game, because I guess you never, you don't find all your shouts and stuff, and that makes the game significantly different. Definitely. And it's definitely an interesting experience, especially knowing, like, I remember it so specifically because no other playthrough has been like that, and that was my first play of the game as well. So it's it's always been amusing to me, and it's always been fun with that 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 part of it, really. But something I do have to ask: uh, which side of the civil war do you fall on? Um, am I allowed to just murder them all? I, <laughs> like, I'm really not a fan of either of them. I've played through both sides. Uh, and having played all the way through both sides, I would probably go with the Imperials. Um, but I don't like either of them. Like, neither of them really give you good enough reasons why you should murder the other side. Like, really. No, that's fair. I mean, I do think, in fairness, Punk put some good arguments forward for why you should always go against... Uh, I can't remember the name of the leader of the Rebels... Uh, Stormcloak's, uh, Ulfric Stormcloak. That's the jobby. He um, is a jerk. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, he is. He is a racist asshole. So, I mean... Yeah, that's pretty on point. Uh, but, in fairness, other than just ignoring it, unlike, say, Fallout New Vegas, this doesn't quite give you the option to be like... Right, we've reached this point. I am no longer working with either of you. I'm taking over. So you've got to pick one, and in your case, you're going Imperial. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, New Vegas. New Vegas. I'm in CR all the way. <laughs> <sighs> no, go into business for yourself. Always for yourself. <laughs> I don't want that much power. I don't want Mister House to win. I certainly don't want the Legion to take over. <laughs> I, to be honest. The the Legion side of it has always bugged me because you reach a certain point where you know you're you're still playing everyone as it were, and then when you basically got to pick a side, I always felt like the Legion story just sort of is there, whereas the NCR story is clearly this is what should happen, and. I mean, personally, I usually kill Mr. House and do it myself because, you know, well, I've been playing since the original Fallout. Do not Pre- trust the NCR. I mean, that's fair. Uh, and killing Mr. House with a golf club is, of course, amazing. <laughs> uh, because Bioshock is amazing. and <laughs> uh, uh, but I won't talk about Bioshock. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, no, but the Fallout games are great, and I honestly, if Fallout Four was better, I would probably have put hit it in this slot instead. And I don't hate on Fallout Four nearly as much as a lot of people do, but I feel as far as the every building's got a story, every cave's got a story. I think Skyrim does that better than Fallout Four does, even though Fallout Four came out later. No, that's definitely fair. I mean, you probably won't have heard it because it's only been released today, in fact. 
but on the Swap Space episode, I mention my big issue with Fallout 4, and that's that if it was anything else, if it was its own new franchise and the game was exactly the same, but removing, you know, the vaults and so then then changing the name of all the factions, I would think so much more of that game than I do with it being Fallout 4. Because yeah. as as good a game as it actually is, it is it's a not, bad Fallout game. It doesn't feel like Fallout at all. Not at all. Like like the little bits of time that you spend in some of the vaults feel kind of Fallouty, just kinda. Uh, but I, I don't. It doesn't. Uh, New Vegas was the last of the Fallout that really felt like Fallout to me. No, agreed. And to be honest. I know you mentioned 3 earlier, and 3 is a very good game, but it's kind of something that I lean slightly towards what I think about number 4 with it, but I know when I can definitely see that argument. I can see that argument, definitely. Um, It just feels Bethesda don't quite get certain parts of what makes Fallout Fallout. No, as far as a Fallout game. Fallout 2 is the best Fallout game. No doubt. I, 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 I think no nobody that really plays Fallout Fallout games is going to argue that point. Yeah, <laughs> Fallout 1 is good, but Fallout 1 is raw, and it's got some problems, some big <laughs> ones, that Fallout 2 fixed a lot of. Yeah, and Fallout 2 is pretty big as well for that era of gaming. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Honestly, for that era of gaming, I'd call it well, not even just pretty big. I'd call it huge. No, that's fair. Like, I mean, fair. it's. I mean, yes, a lot of it is kind of you're driving around, so it, it it's not as big, but it it does well with what it's got as far as producing a sense of scale. Oh, definitely. Whereas yeah. Fallout Three, I found it's I, I love the game. It's a fun game, but it feels like a small game. No, definitely, that's a hundred percent fair. Now, we're going a bit off track, so let's rewind a little bit, <laughs> and let's go back to Skyrim, because... I, it's sorry, I, have a hard time, I have a hard time discussing Skyrim without discussing Fallout, because honestly, the, the, the two series at this point, since Fallout 3 and, and Morrowind, they're so kind of attached at the hip to each other, it's very hard to talk about one without the other. No, definitely, I can't fault you on that front. But uh, I think I want to save most of my Fallout opinions for when people actually pick Fallout games, which, fair, you know, I'm I'm gonna have fun with because I've got some thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> but that's fair. Let's backtrack, to, as I say, to Skyrim. What is your least favorite part of Skyrim? The fact that I have to choose either the Imperials or the Stormcloaks. <laughs> I, I, it is definitely one of those games that I wish there were a third path. Because a lot of games have that. They have the two paths, you know, all right, you can pick A or B. And a lot of them actually have a C path. If you know how to do it just right, you can work that middle path. It doesn't. Eventually, you got to pick one. And what actually, I'd say in Skyrim, more so than a lot of other games, you got to pick it fairly from a true storyline perspective. Well, I mean, in fairness, I think the storyline is basically 
the, the vast majority of it anyway is basically entirely based around that war. I mean, it, it really is. Other than your stuff with the Greybeards, it's... But yeah, uh, I mean, you have to pick it so early, and I hate both choices. I love the game, but I hate both choices. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fair. Right, so, contrast to the last question. What's your favorite bit about Skyrim? Being a stealth archer. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really, not really. Uh, just, uh, uh, honestly, it's it's the number of choices you have, and the fact that if you just take a different path, or, you know, while you're walking towards Whiterun, you see a cave, and you go into it, and you find a story inside that cave. Now, you might have to, some of them you have to root around for the story, and kind of, can, you know, infer a few things, but usually use a diary or something in there that kind of explains a little bit, and you'll find, uh, and, and you'll find corpses kind of set up in weird ways that you then find a diary that explains why that guy's hanging from that stake over there, or, you know, why he's on the table, and... Uh, but just the, the fact that every cave and building and little town and everything you do in that game, every location's got a little story to it. Yeah, yes, you're you're on this grand quest and all that, and that's cool and all, but there's so much else going on in the world, and it feels like there's lots of other stuff going on. Well, that's definitely fair. There yeah. is a lot going on. I, I think it's fair to say we could wrap up on Skyrim, because... I think it's fairly obvious that we just both love nearly everything about that game. It's hard yes. not to, to be honest. It, so... it, it is an amazing thing, and Bethesda needs to pull their heads out of their ass and do it again. <laughs> oh, I think I said it's punk, but at this point, I'm sort of wondering if they're scared to pull the bullet on six, because... They might be, because no matter what, the second they were they announced six, the hype starts. Yeah. And there is no game that could be put out that will survive that hype. It's not possible. No, I mean, the only game that I can honestly think of that would come with more hype than The Elder Scrolls Six is Half-Life 3. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the That's never game. happened. Yeah. Will not, Valve is not going to touch that with the 10-foot pole. No, I definitely believe that. And to be honest, as much as I love the series at this point, I kind of understand that I still really, really wish we were going to get Portal 3. Portal 3. And I want Left 4 Dead 3. Uh, <laughs> I really loved the Left 4 Dead games. And the, the thing is, this for me, and I know it's a good old internet meme, but it lends credence to the argument that Valve can't count to three because there's no way that the hype for a Left 4 Dead 3 will come anywhere near what you'd expect for a Portal or Half-Life 3, and yet still no sign of that either. Yeah. Uh, well, and honestly, I think it's because they'd have to build a new engine. Yeah, like probably. They'd have to build a new source, you know, a new source engine, and... I don't think they want to, because the second they build the new Source engine, people are going to be even more, hey, so where the hell is Half-Life 3? <laughs> I mean, they're already like that, but it'll, it, it would be worse. <laughs> I'm really curious how many like letters and emails Valve might get every, let's say, week to give a, you know, a reasonable time frame. Literally just asking when is Half-Life Half 3 win? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
I'm certain they probably honestly have spam filters that if it has Half Life and the number three anywhere in the body of anything, they just it goes straight to to the spam filter. <laughs> I, that's what I would do if I were them. If I knew I was never going to actually make Half-Life 3. No, but fine. you know what? The FF7 remake did happen 20 years later, so maybe Half-Life 3 will happen someday. To be honest, I think if Half-Life 3 ever does happen, it's literally going to be on Monday, they tell us Half-Life 3 is coming, and on Friday it's out. Valve does like to do that. Well, Steam likes to do that. Because they yeah. did that la- like a couple, two weeks ago with Persona 4. They announced at the show, hey, Persona 4 is coming to Steam. What they didn't mention was that that meant they were putting it on Steam that day. <laughs> yeah. <You> know, it's... <laughs> it's just like, oh, hey, here it is. Like no. Normally, announcements like that come with a, oh, yeah, on March 14th, it'll come to Steam. They're like, yeah, it's coming to Steam. They didn't say a day. Why? Because it was that day. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, Nintendo do a similar thing with a lot of the directs, where they'll say, oh, this game's coming to the Switch. Right now. (laughs) Like, like you can download it as we speak. Yeah. (laughs) It just... I personally really like the way they do it, because it kind of protects them very slightly from overhyping things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Nintendo's good at a keeping their games or keeping them on a good schedule, but also not releasing them till they're done, oh, and yeah. they do a great job at it. No, to their credit, I can't honestly say there is a Nintendo game like Nintendo built game that I have just been like, "Well, this is a massive disappointment." Ever? No, I honestly can't. Some, I mean, some are better than others. Uh, I do. Course. I do know the. Uh, Legend of Zelda 2 Adventures of Link was kind of a... A lot of people considered it one. I love that game, but it was... A lot of people considered it one at the time. Yeah, it was such a massive change from the original. I can understand why people might be against it, but I'm with you. I've never had any massive dislike for that game at all. I'd go the opposite way and say, I've always really enjoyed it. That's one of my another one of my very early video game memories. My uncle, he didn't have Zelda One, but he had Zelda Two, and I would borrow it from him. And you know, I was six. I didn't know what the hell was going on, but I was having fun. <laughs> and there is certain elements of that game that can punish you as well if you miss them. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm fairly certain there's something in it that if you don't collect it, you can't finish the game, and it is missable. Um, I don't remember anything that's truly missable. Maybe it's just uh, a lot of backtracking. It's been so long since I've played it that... that ton of, oh, you didn't know you needed to go into this empty building and swing your sword under this table to find this mirror? Well, you're not finishing the game. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> like, there are things like that. Uh, oh, you didn't know you needed to go to the fountain and get some water? You're not finishing the game. <laughs> Now let's let's move on a bit because let's be honest, we're having a good time getting distracted by completely different things here all over the place. We are as you said, you have listened to the show, so this next bit isn't gonna be a surprise for you. With you to the desert island, we're gonna let you take uh one album, one movie or book, and a luxury item. What are you taking with you? So I'm ready for this one. Um, 
So with the album, I actually had a really hard time with it uh, because at different portions of my life, my musical tastes have been so radically different from each other that it's it was very difficult. Um, uh, I ended up well, so it could have been anything from like a, a Judas Priest, British Steel. That that that's an amazing album. Uh, Garth Brooks, No Fences, but Weird Al's Bad Hair Day. Dark Side of the Moon, because I was a 15-year-old boy once, and every 15-year-old boy goes out and buys Dark Side of the Moon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, so, sorry, the, the the point, or I guess the to the point, um, the album I would pick is actually uh, 2008 Rise Against Appeal to Reason. I love you right uh, now. I do. It's, it's a great album. It's, it is, but, and the, this is a band that I really, really like. And I spend a lot of time listening to their music while I'm gaming. <laughs> so. I, I I do the same, uh, but I mean, just that that is a that is an album that you can listen to, Alpha to Omega, over and over and over again, and it's all good. Some are better than others, but it just it works. The whole thing just it's that raw, angsty. You're not doing enough to protect the world, and it sucks all at once. No, definitely. I love it. <laughs> so, uh, that came to you very quickly. I am going to mention yet again that every time I play Super Metroid, I've got an entire playlist that is just Rise Against, and that is all I listen to when I'm racing, or when I'm running a randomizer, or when I'm trying to set a speedrun PB whatever it may be, oh, yeah. that is what I will be listening to. No doubt. No I'm with you. And I picked Appeal to Reason because it's a per- it's my personal favorite album of theirs, but I definitely could have gone other places. You know, Endgame was really good. Uh, or was, was it actually called Endgame or is that just the song on it? Uh, now to I'm... be honest albums i don't know because i've just got them all in one playlist and i just let them go so i don't even know which ones are which okay end game was an album and it was the one that happened after appeal to reason suffering a witness is great siren song of the counterculture is great even the newer stuff black market was okay but wolves i really like rise against is a band i really like uh and appeal to reason honestly was the album that introduced me to them savior honestly the song that's that was the first song of theirs i ever heard and i loved it and I saw that more, so... No, that is completely fair. I think the first one of theirs I was introduced to was off the Suffering Witness, because uh, I'm sure one of the songs, I think it's off that album, was on uh, Guitar Hero 3. And it's one of the few songs on there that I heard and was just like, I really liked it. I'm going to have to look this band up. and uh, Probably Prayer of the Refugee. It was, yes. Yeah, definitely Prayer of the Refugee. But that was an album that I listened to it and I was like, i got to get more. I was like, I sold instantly on these guys. Absolutely. I, actually, I take that back, though. Uh, Savior was not the very first. Um, in one of the Burnout games, I don't remember which one, maybe Burnout 2, uh, Paper Wings from Siren Song and the Counterculture. Was, oh, on, was on that soundtrack. If that's the case, um, that probably would have been the first one I heard as well. Yeah, like I, I, I remember that that with Animal by the Mud Men and a couple of other. The Burnout games had really good soundtracks. Most a lot of racing, racing games, games and car games do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, <But> yeah. <laughs> Forza Horizon is one that I 
uh, have always loved the soundtrack for it. Just it just feels like driving around like a dickhead, wasting time. It's so much fun. Yes, I one hundred percent got you on that. Uh, so that's that's my album, Rise Against Appeal to Reason. Uh, for book, for the book, uh, I'm gonna choose book instead of movie. Um, and uh, you let Tracy have a whole series, so I demand to also get a whole series. How many books are in the series? Three right now, but it'll eventually be ten. <laughs> well, you can have the three that are existing right now. That's fine. I'll take that. Uh, uh, it's the the Stormlight Archives by Brandon Sanderson. It's a series of fantasy novels. Anybody who reads fantasy probably at least has a marginal idea of what they are. They're really good. I really enjoy fantasy books. Uh, I read you know the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy more times than I could count as a teenager. Um, the Wheel of Time series, uh, just. And actually, Brandon Sanderson, the author of the Stormlight Archives, he is the one who finished the Wheel of Time series when Robert Jordan died. Okay. Uh, and he he's, uh, honestly, and part of the reason I love him, other than I love his writing, his stories are great, he is a machine, like Stephen King levels of, uh, of how quickly he writes books. Fair it's right. not going to be like George R.R. R. Martin, where he's going to die before that series ends. Brandon Sanderson is a writing machine. <laughs> no, that's fair. I mean, I've it's always been one big, big bugbear with me with the George R. R. Martin thing is that that series has been going since the early nineties. Yeah, well, and the, well, the first three all came out within like five a five year total span, and every time since then it's been like, oh, now five years for the next one, now six years for the next one, now like, you know, you swear he, there was a plan at the start and there isn't really now. No. And I've heard with George R. R. Martin specifically, to, to get off track again, because that's what we do, uh, is he can only write if he's sitting at the house and has nothing, like, that's all he's doing. Boom, writing it. And as the uh, as it got more popular and the show came out and all that, he was doing Comic-Con and all these different, you know, all these conventions and stuff, so he didn't have time to just sit at his house and do nothing but write. Fair enough. Uh, I mean, I haven't heard that, but I don't really follow that side of things because just tell me when the book is coming. That, yeah, I got pissed I because I got into it just before the show came out, like <laughs> a year or so beforehand. Got through a Dance with Dragons. It was, it was great. And I'm like, all right, where's the next one? Well, so what? Son of a <laughs> Luckily, with Brandon Sanderson, that's not a problem. Dude is a writing machine. He has three or four current series of books all going on like together like all at once and he puts out at least two books a year like two 900 plus page novels a year fair enough i can't fault that i mean as someone who spends a lot of time reading comic books as well delays due to writers is something you get very very familiar with so when you get someone that can pump out that consistent level of quality with the story as well always a win in my book so that's what I would go with. Uh, it's a series called The Stormlight Archives. Uh, he, it's, it's, it's really good. Uh, and then my luxury item, one thing I am very surprised I have not heard any any of it, anybody else go with. So I'm stranded on a desert island, right? Okay. I want an air conditioner. <laughs> Fair enough. That's what you I, <laughs> That That is my luxury item. I want an air conditioner. Because no. I don't like being hot. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I mean, maybe it's maybe my perspective on this is a bit because of the British or European side of things, but particularly in the UK, even when it's hot, like aircon isn't really a thing. Like oh, you get it in cars, I... you get it in like office blocks where, especially like where I work, there is a twelve floor office block, and none of the windows open up except at the very bottom level. And so you've got aircon all the way through the building. And to be honest, I don't like it. Like, oh. I want to open the window and feel some airflow through. But See, I live in the American South. I live <laughs> yes. in a subtropical climate. It is literally <laughs> illegal to build a house without an air conditioner here. <laughs> yeah, that very different of an environment is going to affect this, no doubt about that. Yeah, uh, I get hot very easily, and I love air conditioning. Um, the reason I always joke that the reason I went to college and got a degree was so I could get a a job inside of a building with an air conditioner. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. And I, I'm a chemist. I work in a lab, so you know the temperature of the lab has to be very specific. So it's even better. So I have to have a really, really good air conditioner at work. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't fault that. That's definitely a win. Uh, I mean, what sort of like you know average temperature, say in the middle of summer versus the middle of winter, where you are? Uh, so average, like in July, let's say, uh, average temperature here will be ninety-eight with ninety-nine percent humidity. <laughs> Uh, you walk out the door and it feels like you were hit by a heat truck. <laughs> no, so wait, ninety eight Fahrenheit. That's going to be roughly thirty six, thirty seven degrees Celsius. Somewhere in the thirty seven is... Celsius and ninety nine, and the high nineties relative humidity. No, that's fair. I'm just trying to put it in something I'll, I'll you know, it's easier oh. for me to follow. But yeah, thirty eight just... C with ninety eight percent humidity. No, I can't honestly think of a day in my life in the UK at least where I've experienced that temperature uh, I definitely had once when I was on holiday in Spain and it was like 40 degrees in the middle of the day and honestly I'm also not someone who's great with heat and that is insanely hot by my standards I mean oh it's hot but it's not just the heat oh no of course the humidity stops your sweat from working. That's the problem. Because, well, you know, normally you sweat, the sweat dries, and it cools you off. Well, when there's 98% humidity in the air, sweat's not going anywhere. No, see, now, that's the thing. What I do get, particularly where I live as well, I live right by the coast, so humidity is definitely something we get more of with the heat than other parts of the UK. But... Yeah, I'd say probably summer, most summers, you're probably looking mid-20s in Celsius is the highest we're going to get temperature-wise. Oh, shit, I wish. But we are going to get monster humidity with it. Not quite 99%, we're not getting that high. Yeah, I I live in in a subtropical area that as (laughs) global warming continues will make its way into a tropical area. (laughs) It's hot as hell outside and the... It's called muggy outside for a reason, because when you walk out and it's 98 degrees Fahrenheit with 98% humidity, it feels like you've been mugged. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I would like an air air conditioner on this desert island. (laughs) You are getting an air conditioner. Good for you. Go me. So, 
I was going to say, if you're about to move to game four, I have something I want to do before game four. Okay, go ahead. Oh, well, it's just, in, in one of the other ones, I forget who it was, you asked them, what's your favorite bad game? Oh, I asked uh, and I a wanted, couple of times, yeah. Well, I, I've heard that at least once, and I, I did want to chime in on that one, because I think you hadn't asked it to everybody. Um, so my favorite bad game isn't a bad game because like it's poorly made or anything, it's just in pure bad taste. Okay. <laughs> it's Postal 2. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody who's ever played it knows, like, the first thing you could do is walk out of your door and urinate on somebody. Uh, you decapitate people with shovels. It's just, it is a, it, it, it's a super fun game, but it is just, it's like a 13 year old was like, all right, what's the most awesome stuff we could put into a video game? <laughs> and then they listen to the kid. <laughs> In fairness, I think it's an earring game in where the developers really knew the market they were aiming for. <laughs> oh, they did, because it sold well, uh, and it. But it's just it's a lot of fun because it's just if I need to every now and then you get you, you know you get into a mood where you need to go mindlessly murder people on a video game. It's one of my favorite to to, to load up. You can just go to the police station, get yourself a police uniform and some guns, and murder everybody. <laughs> I mean, you know. Wow, in the current political climate, that might not be the the best thing in the world. For me to say. Uh, yeah, no, you don't have to. But it, but if you go put on the police uniform, they don't shoot back. Oh, okay. uh, but it is in that game is in very poor taste. No, I I, I get where you're coming from. So I'm I'm glad you threw that out there. To be honest, because I wasn't gonna ask this time, but I'm so happy you came out with that because yeah, Postal Two is. It's a great game. It's a terrible game, and like you say, it's terrible because of its really bad taste. Yeah, like it's not a terrible. It's not terribly programmed. It's a fun game to play. The mechanics all work fine and all that good stuff. But yeah, like you can you can decapitate someone, light their head on fire, and then kick their flaming head at other people to kill them. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just. That's all I have to say about Postal 2. It's, I think it's all that needs to be said, to be honest. Also, at one point in the game, you get chlamydia. <laughs> <laughs> so, on that note, let's jump back onto the main topic. And let's get from you your fourth and final pick, please. Alright, before my fourth pick, uh, two honorable mentions, because these were the last two that came <laughs> off the list, and they I. Uh, if I could pick six, these would be the next two. Uh, StarCraft Brood War. Okay. Um, that game was amazing. Um, I mean, yeah, I was 13 when it came out, so that probably makes it more amazing. Uh, and Saga Frontier for the PS1. PS1 RPGs being my my thing. Uh, but So game number four, uh, going back to tactical combat. Told you we were going to come back to it. Okay. Uh, is Final Fantasy Tactics for the PlayStation 1. Do you know, I will say, when you mentioned that we're going to be coming to, back to this genre, that is the exact game that I thought you might be going for, because to be honest, it's hard to find a better example of how good this style of game can be. Absolutely, and then the, the sequels are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so Final Fantasy Tactics. Um, so I got this game when it came out. I bought it from a buddy of mine who... 
he bought it like when it came out, played it, beat it once, and then he was done with it. Like he enjoyed it and all, but he wasn't gonna replay it. So I bought it off of him for like twenty bucks. Uh, um, all told, I've owned seven copies of this game. Uh, the discs would just get scratched over time because, well, even if you leave it in the PS1, things just had a weird tendency to get scratched occasionally. Uh, I've owned basically every edition. I had the War of the Lions version for the PSP. Uh, I make my own ROM hacks for it. <laughs> I, if, if, if I had to hazard a guess as to the number of hours I have in this game, it would be over 4,000. Like, there were years of my life in the late 90s where basically I would get home from school and I would play Final Fantasy Tactics until I went to bed for six months at a time. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, I would say, to be honest, given the hours that you've mentioned that you've got in things like XCOM 2 and the time that Final Fantasy Tactics has been available, I'd be You're surprised right. from the sound of it if it isn't there was 4,000. <laughs> I might be undershooting the 4,000. <laughs> sure. Um, so for anybody who's not familiar with Final Fantasy Tactics, stop listening, find it, and go play it. It is my favorite video game of all time. Okay, Bar none. so let's get back <laughs> into it. Why Final Fantasy Tactics? What makes this your favorite video game of all time? Uh, so as we already discussed during XCOM 2, I love that tactical combat. And honestly, it is the game that introduced me to that grid-based tactical combat. Uh, I had played Dungeons & Dragons beforehand, but doing it grid-based in a video game was something I just I hadn't dealt with. I know there were a few games on the Super Nintendo that had not the same, but similar-ish, at least the grid-based portion of it. Uh, but FFT was the first one I played, introduced me to the genre. Uh, the storyline is amazing. Uh, it's a game that if you know what you're doing, you can break it really quickly. But if you just give yourself a few rules, it can remain challenging. Um, I don't know. I just love that game. And it's another one of those. I played it when I was 13. So nothing's better than things that I played when I was 13. <laughs> <laughs> We've all got those games. There's no point in lying about it. <laughs> I think... Anybody who claims they don't is lying to themselves. <laughs> I mean, I think the only major franchise in this style that I can think of that was definitely around before it in terms of being a big franchise would be the Fire Emblem games. But Had any same... of those come to the US at that point? That's the thing. I'm not sure when they actually came over because I know none of the original NES releases came over well came outside of japan basically and i'm not sure about the few that were on the super nintendo so yeah it might be the first major one of its style at least that i can think of off the top of my head that was available in the western gaming communities uh, yeah, it was like I said, it was the first one I played. Uh, I'm not sure. I also love the Fire Emblem series. Uh, they're they're a great bunch of games. I've been playing through uh, Three Houses recently, and actually got my wife hooked on it as well. But she is not a video game player, really much at all. Uh, but she's got hooked on it, uh, and they're great games. But just something about Final Fantasy Tactics is a game I could just I could keep going back to it. Uh, like I said, I. I, I mean, I've made my own hack for it. Uh, I'm actually currently still beta testing my own hack for it. 
Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, you, you can probably tell me better than I know off the top of my head, but you might be the first person I've ever heard of that's made a Final Fantasy tactics hack. I'm sure there's someone else out there, but you are definitely the first I've encountered. Oh, they're out there, and I'm, I mean, I got the idea. There's a, there's an entire website, Final Fantasy Hacktics, uh, where it's got all the tools for it, and different people making their own hacks. And it kind of, it, it, it all started with a guy who wanted to do Final Fantasy Tactics hard type, basically. Uh, okay. He thought the game was too easy, so he made all of the storyline battles le- scale with your level instead of being a static level. And then he also set up a bunch of the enemies in such a ways that they were honestly broken, unfair, and fun as hell. <laughs> uh, and I mean, there's a there, his isn't the only one. Just I think it's now 1.3 is the version, and that's just re- referred to as FFT 1.3. Um, but that started a lot of hacking in the Final Fantasy Tactics community, and there, you know, there's applications to do it uh, where you can go in and change what classes, what abilities classes have, and stats, and all. You know, you can change all kinds of. Stuff. Um, and it's it's just it's a lot of fun, uh, and it adds even more spice to a game that I could play basically forever. No, that's absolutely fair. So, with Final Fantasy Tactics, you mentioned that all the sequels were—I don't remember what phrase you used specifically, but I'm going to go. I believe I said awful. Fair enough. Uh, so, what about the, the PS1 version versus the others? makes the ps1 great while the others are awful uh so uh the only difference between the ps1 and the psp version the psp was a remake of it and honestly it's basically the same game with a couple of additions but it added a bunch of loading times even to like ability animations and it just made everything slow and kind of a slog but the real culprits are final fantasy tactics advance and advance 2 for advance was for the game boy advance advance 2 i forget if it was for the gba or the ds i just don't remember um, they took a game that was in a great medieval style setting with magic that was about, you know, fighting the, these evil beasts that came out of these, the, the, from these stones of ancient lore. And they turned it into the first thing you do in Final Fantasy Tactics Advance is have a bunch of grade schoolers have a fucking snowball fight. <laughs> that is the first thing that happens in that game. I've played that one. <laughs> And yeah, you get one. taken to kind of, uh, you know, to a, a a fantasy world. They added races, which I didn't have a problem with them adding races. But it, it's just, it's all done in such a kiddie manner. Whereas the first game, Final Fantasy Tactics for the PlayStation 1, it's not a kiddie game. Uh, I mean, it, it deals with political intrigue and murder and, uh, and, and, you know, good versus evil monsters. And, like, it's it's not a kiddie game. But Final Fantasy Tactics Advance is a kiddie game. And you find out at the end, spoiler alert for anybody who would ever play through that piece of garbage, that it was all your handicapped friend. Oh, no, sorry, he's not handicapped. He was just like a... Oh, no, no, sorry, your handicapped little brother's, like, dream, basically. Not quite dream, but he dreamed enough into this book that was magical and it made the dream world real. It's, It's dumb. Fair enough. I mean, never a huge fan of the it was all a dream ending, but uh, I don't know well, remember and finished the game. So, 
like I said, it wasn't quite a dream. It was all it was a world drawn from a dream that became real because of some magical book or some some garbage like that. I don't know. It, it's terrible game. Don't play it. Well, play Final Fantasy Tactics for the PlayStation One. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. That's basically the Final Fantasy version of it was all a dream. So it pretty much is. That's true. <clears throat> no, yeah, definitely. So with the PS One version, then, what is your least favorite part about that? Hmm, that's actually kind of hard. Uh, honestly, okay. Uh, so it, you know what? The game came out in like 1997. It's 23 years old. I don't feel bad about spoiling. Um, so the game, you, you, like I said, you fight these evil beasts called the Lukavi. Uh, the game is split into four chapters, right? Chapter one, you don't fight any. Chapter two, you fight one Lukavi. Chapter at the very end. Chapter three, you fight one Lukavi at the very end. And chapter four, you fight 12 of them. No, it's not 12. It's like seven. But still, like it, the pacing in the game when it comes to the enemies is a bit weird sometimes. Okay. Now, as far as, like, as plot-wise enemies. No, I see what you're saying. It's, think about it, it's kind of something that you see a lot in the Final Fantasy series as a whole, not necessarily just the tactics side of it, where late game there is a sudden ramp up in the difficulty of things for no ex- you know explained reason it just all of a sudden goes from being a 6 out of 10 which it's been for the last 30 hours of gameplay to being an 8 out of 10 for for the last 10 yeah uh, it, it kind of has that this one I mean don't get me wrong the game gets more difficult as you go along uh, it, but this is less of a difficulty and more of a like, the plot just, at the beginning of Chapter 4, takes off and just speeds through. Whereas, okay. up to that point, it's been a, a lot slower and more methodical about it. And then Chapter 4 hits, and it's just gone. Okay, no, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I've definitely played games with similar problems to that. But uh, I can't honestly say I remember playing at least all the way through the PS1 Final Fantasy Tactics. I definitely played it at least once or twice because I remember one of my friends definitely had it when I was younger. But I think it was one of those games where somebody bought it for him, we tried it together, and he was sort of like, yeah, this isn't my cup of tea. And we ended up playing, I don't know, FIFA or something along those lines because that's the kind of gamer he was. But, uh, I mean, you laugh. Nothing wrong with that. FIFA is still arguably the biggest game in history. I I understand. Uh, I am an uncultured American, and I don't get the whole <laughs> soccer. I don't get the whole soccer thing. Uh, no, that's fair. I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I even as someone from the UK, not a huge football fan, and obviously, I mean, what you would be called soccer with that, but. <laughs> I don't know, there's something about FIFA where it's just one of those games that's fun to play with your mates. And that's fair. I mean, here we do the same thing with the Madden franchise, which is the American football EA franchise. Uh, And I, from what I've heard from people that that play it and, you know, from people across the pond, as you will, uh, is it has a lot of the same problems as, uh, as Madden in that Madden, more years than not, it's the same game with a roster update. Oh, like, FIFA is the basic model for that entire thing. Like, like, yeah, every five or six years, they'll introduce some big new thing to it, and then the five years in between, it's just a roster update. Yeah, basically. 
that that's just the, the standard for EA Sports games, and it has been for well forever for a good long <laughs> time. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I, I, I've, I've heard FIFA has basically <laughs> the same problem as Madden, as far as that's concerned. It it, um, it definitely does, and I mean one of the things with FIFA is because as well you're talking you're not just talking the NFL, you're talking. The I think it's got the top three, possibly four leagues from the English setup. You've got the top two leagues from France, the top two from Germany, top from Spain, and you know, and then you're talking about a shit ton of different leagues. That's it, and that's just the ones in Europe. You've still got the Korean league, the Japanese league. It's there is so so many in it, and that is awesome. Because you can be a fan of the sport from just about anywhere and find a team that you like or a team that you hate enough that you want to beat them. <laughs> but it also means... like A lot of saying, things are going to be generic as hell. Yes, all you are getting is updates to squads and that's about it for, like you say, four or five years running. Yeah, and then, I mean, yeah, every every few years they'll introduce some big new thing to it uh though i don't know recently from what i've heard i know madden and 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 fifa both have the the ultimate team where it's the card based teams where you play people online and people spend like ridiculous amounts of money on online cards (laughs) but it's, it's just one of those things that highlights the craziness and devotion that those games inspire when they don't change at all but ultimately People pay for it. And they do. Uh, and then they, they pay for the $60 for the game, and then they start buying cards. <laughs> I, I I haven't for some time seen any figures on it, but the amount of money must, that must go into the Ultimate Teams on just oh, any one of them, never mind it's, all of the games combined. It's gross. It is a gross amount of money. I would not be surprised. I don't know the numbers either, but it's just a gross amount of money. Well, like I say, I, I'm it, sure they make way more than from the actual sales of the game. Oh, no doubt, no doubt at all. But Ugh. yet again, we are going way off topic because we are, that is what we, we are we not do. talking about Final Fantasy Tactics at all. <laughs> but I'm going to stand by this: the reason it's called the Your Lives and Gaming Podcast is because it's about your life with gaming so even though we focus on the four games i love going off topic and talking about different things and different opinions on different aspects of gaming so i'm all good with it but let's backtrack a little bit to final fantasy tactics because i want to learn more so tell me something about this game okay uh so this game has one class in it called the calculator that is so broken that its ability math, there are different speed runs whether you use it or don't. Like the the, the any the, the percentage and the time is like a three hour difference. Okay, so what so makes what, this particular class so OP? So what the math skill that the calculator can do is is it will all its abilities. It's uh, it, it's some numbers and then like uh, two, three, five, and prime, and then height. Uh, CT, which is like their uh, their current time space in the in the uh, active time, like who's going to be the next the next person up, 
uh, level and something else, basically. And what you do is, is you try to find a combination of, all right, is there level div divisible by four? If so, you can do it. And you can cast for free any black, white, time, or uh, I think it might, maybe it's just those three that you know for free on everybody whose level is divisible by three. Okay. Every every turn. Well, that is definitely going to cause some serious damage. Yeah, so what you do is you go just deep enough into Black Mage, get just enough job points to learn Flare, which is non-elemental, major major damage. You learn all the math skills, and then you just murder everything on... <laughs> just murder everything. Like, oh, I can cast Flare for free every turn on everybody I want to. So, yeah, that like it, it's so bad that the any percent times, like, they're different categories whether you use the math skill or you don't. That is... <laughs> it's impressive, to be honest. It, it is. I mean, I, I, I'm not aware of any other speedrun game where literally one thing, other than, like, glitches versus not glitches, <laughs> makes that big of a difference that they like, no, no, you're your own damn category. Just... <laughs> Yeah, to be honest, I was going to say, outside of difficulty and glitches, I've never seen something cause such a discernment between categories as myself. So, right. you mentioned there's about three hours difference, so roughly how long are we talking for, let's say, top tier speed run for each of those two categories, with or without? Uh, Alright, and now that number was probably a little old, because I, I don't check the, uh, the Final Fantasy Tactics uh, speed run categories <laughs> too often, uh, because I don't, I don't speed run the game. It's not, it's not really on my list. I'm sorry. It's no longer three hours. It's only about an hour difference. Uh, like for any percent, the world record is just under four hours, and for eighty percent, no math. It's actually only four and a half hours. So they have. Oh, but that's and then but any percent glitchless no math is over five hours. Okay. Yeah. There are a few glitches you can do and. But just the difference between math and no math, the fact that they decided they had to be their own categories. No, definitely an impressive thing. And I mean, that's a fairly short speed run as Final Fantasy games go. But then... It does. And honestly, the first time I found out how fast people beat it, I was like, how? There's like 45 <laughs> required battles in the game, and I just don't even know how you could do that in under four hours. In fairness, I think there is a lot of games where when you first hear how fast the speedrun is, you're like, how? How is that possible? Well, that but... game took me 14 hours to beat. Speedrun world record's 12 minutes. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> yeah. I think the Ori 2 speedrun is under, like, a half hour now. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Definitely is. I'm sure I've seen... And I, I haven't looked at it at all recently, but I'm sure I've seen something in the region of 25, 26 minutes. And yeah, and playing through that game casually, you will then wonder, how in the hell are you supposed to beat this in 26 minutes? And then you watch and you're like, how do they even do any of that? But that's kind of a, that's the nature of going from casually running a game to speed running a game. Oh, definitely. It's first you have to watch your first speedrun, and you'll be like, how in the hell does he do any of that stuff? <laughs> well, I remember the first time I saw a speedrun of Super Metroid, and it was literally the first time I had ever heard of the Mothball. And I was just like, you 
don't have to fight Spore Spawn. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> it's you know. But even even that, like, yeah, don't get me wrong. So a lot of the tricks in, in Super Metroid are super impressive, but most of them you can at least understand them, like on kind of a fundamental okay. level. Some of these speed runs you watch it and you're like, how? That's not even how that ability works. <laughs> no, you see, it gives him one extra pixel of height here, which lets him do this. Like, who figured that out? And then you watch, like, sometimes, like, every now and then, when, like, during a GDQ, they'll have, uh, like, the, the Fire Emblem speedruns. And you'll see them, and they'll, like, select the character, and then they'll move the cursor around in a bunch of weird ways and then go attack the guy. And apparently they're, like, manipulating the RNG for that attack. And you have to wonder, who figured that out? Like, how did you f- figure out, all right, if I move the cursor left, left, right, left, right, left, up, up, left, left, and then go attack the guy, I'm going to crit him every time. Like, how do you go about figuring out something like that? No, it is I... definitely a random, random way of going about things. Like, like some Certain glitches in certain games, I get it. Like, how you would have figured them out. Because it's stuff that you could easily just accidentally do one time you're like wait hey that happened i wonder how and you know do it but then some of them are so complicated that you're just like what's going on (laughs) (laughs) well definitely and i I, like a good example of that for me is like who figured out uh like x-ray climbing in super metroid why? Why were you do it, getting stuck in doors and playing around with X-ray? What? What were you well, possibly the, trying to achieve? I will say the getting stuck in doors probably came from people who played the original Metroid on the NES. Yes. That was that yeah. was definitely a thing you could do very easily. <laughs> it was very uh, easy. Yeah, in, in, yeah, in, in, in Nestroid, it's super easy. In, in Super Metroid, you kind of have to do it on purpose. You're never going to accidentally get stuck in a door. Um. Uh, now, as far as why they started deciding to use the X-ray and turn around at the same time, I, I, I got nothing on that one. But at least the getting stuck in the door part harkens back to something. Oh, uh, yeah, I get that. Definitely. Who figured out Moonfall? That's what I... <laughs> Alright, if I turn on Moonwalk, and I'm angled while moonwalking backwards off of something and jump and spin, I fall really fast. Like, who... <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I will say now, I'm reasonably confident in saying that would either be Snick or ED, and shout to both of them, because the stuff that they know and can tell you about Super Metroid is beyond belief. But, uh, yeah, I'm with you. Like, how, e- even if you are literally dicking about trying to find random bits of crap that you can glitch how exactly Moonfall came about, no clue. Like, who found out that you could shine Spark Dragon? <laughs> who and why? <laughs> I mean, if that room was long enough to get uh, a full charge without charge having a short charge, I could see exactly how it would have occurred. But, yeah. <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> no, that's the thing. But yeah, let let's not talk about Super Metroid though, because yeah, I didn't pick Super Metroid, and you did not pick it. So let's move off that. So, tell me a bit about your hack for Final Fantasy Tactics then. All right. So honestly, I've kind of 
taken a few ideas from a couple of other hacks and just re and then I just talked it over with some friends and just and worked on some things. So uh, completely redid the speed system in the game because it's very easy to get your speed so high in the game that you're getting two or three turns per one turn the enemy's getting. It's just it's super easy to do. So I kind of normalized everybody's speed to where it's really depending on what class you are and what level you are, you're gonna have a certain speed, and that's just it. Okay. Uh, you know, ninjas are still gonna be faster than knights, but it's it's not ninjas have a speed of forty and knights have a speed of three. And so the ninja's getting 11 turns for every one turn the knight's getting. Uh, Makes sense. Um, I switched it up to make it where knights and lancers got uh, swapped as far as when you access them. Because traditionally, in warfare, your less trained uh, people got spears, not swords. Well, I mean, it's a lot harder to hurt yourself with the spear as well. Harder to hurt yourself. It's longer. You got more range. And you can just hand a guy a spear... And they can figure out, all right, pointing in goes in the other guy, and, you know, be vaguely effective at it. A sword, it's really easy to just get yourself killed with a sword if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> and then I did a few things like the, the hard type hack did. I, I made it where all the battles scale with your level. Because in the original game, if you want to just crush the game, you can just go into random battles, level up a bunch, and you'll be 30 levels above the enemy, and you'll just murder everything. Well, I changed it to where if you're 30 levels higher, so are they. <laughs> I've always liked games that have some sort of scaling mechanic to them. It, yes. It definitely lends itself. As someone who, as I mentioned earlier, has a habit of going and looking in every little nook and cranny, doing you, every it's side It's so easy to get over-leveled in most exactly. games. Exactly. Yeah. I think the first game I ever played that I think did that was Final Fantasy VIII, of all things. As far as that enemies kind of leveled with you? So at least that's the first one I remember that happening on. I kind of feel like, I'm not 100%, but I think it's only in certain areas that that happens as well, isn't it? Like you can I, I know the world map, it does that, and it might only be certain dungeons, but bosses in that game are still uh, level locked. They're, oh, yeah. they're going to be whatever level they are. I no. think it's only random encounters. But it's still it was something. No, definitely, and step in the right direction in terms of scaling, because it's as fun as it is to play through a game where you're so ridiculously overpowered that you just smash everything. You don't tend to really learn how to properly play the game or how it was intended to be played when you get that. So, Which is why like, I love watching people who do like low-level runs of things, low-level, low-equipment runs, I can't do them because I don't have the patience for them. <laughs> I say this as somebody who has thousands of hours in XCOM 2. I don't have the patience for that. But uh, I, I love watching them. It's like watching somebody do a Final Fantasy VII initial equip low-level run. Like It's amazing the weird little strategies they have to pull out. Oh, definitely. And how much they specifically have to learn within the game to make it work is it's impressive because like you know as well as I do learning a speedrun for any game is going to be a lot of challenge in terms of learning specific things whether it's specific movements specific tech whatever it may be but to learn right. it for a an entire game, entire RPG <laughs> yeah 
I mean, at the end of the day, it got mentioned when I spoke to Ajda that Final Fantasy VII is three discs long. At the time that was released, you go and try and find another three-disc game. It just It's an insane size for what it was. And Absolutely. to learn all the little nuance as you go yeah. through that game to keep it like the low level, no materia runs. They're crazy. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Because you have to know, all right, if I don't pick up this one item in Midgar that I'm going to use at the end of disc two, my run's done. Yeah. And <laughs> it's mad. Absolutely mad. But credit where it's due to the guys who learn it because. Oh, it's there. It's amazing to watch because you're like, all right, he's going up against Diamond Weapon and he's level fourteen. He can be one shot by literally anything Diamond Weapon does, and then he beats him. And you're like, how in the hell did that even happen? <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, so, mad shout outs to anybody who does like the the low percentage categories. I mean, even with something as uh, relatively simple as Super Metroid. The low percentage categories are hard. Some of the low percent categories are downright insane. But I mean, they're they're hard, and oh, yeah. that is it's still like yeah, you're you're having to learn everything about the game to do it. But honestly, there's a lot less game. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> even in some of the longest low percent runs, like there's uh, a couple of Z- you know at least two people have done zero percent runs, and I think the longest one. You know, completed one is something like three, four hours. How do you even do a zero percent run? You know what? We'll discuss that some other time. We're not going to talk about zero (laughs) percent. No, yeah, but (laughs) the point being that that three or so hours that that run takes is it's a long one, but that's (laughs) it. That's that's not even half. Of what some of the low percent runs are for, like Final Fantasy VII, and just the yeah. the amount of information you have to be aware of and know going through the whole thing. Is <laughs> and then you'll you'll amazing. you'll see them at like marathons, and they'll actually have like their notebook with them because they have notes <laughs> on. Okay, if I wasn't able to steal this item from this guy, here are all my different backup strategies. I mean, you'll have, they'll have entire like three subject size notebooks just full of notes about one game. Well, I know, for example, the Chrono Trigger speedrun. There is a document that you can get within the community for it, which is literally a script for the vast majority of the game and what to do to make the speedrun work how to get yourself back on RNG cycles if you fall onto the wrong one. And I, my understanding is that basically anyone who starts learning that speedrun, you follow that because you will not get it done otherwise. Just follow the script. <laughs> and Follow the script and try to do it faster than the other guy. <laughs> and that's the thing. It's, it's mad that you literally have a script of what you can do. And there's still a huge amount of time you can say following that script, even on like the Megas percent category, which is effectively about half of the game. Yeah, I've uh, I've watched some some Megas the Megas percent run, runs. I don't know if I've ever actually watched a full Chrono Trigger speed run. It's a fun game. It's a great game, but I just 
I don't know if I've ever watched that one. I, I don't know if they've ever had a tournament for the full thing, honestly. If there, if there hasn't been a tournament of it, the chances of me having seen it goes down. <laughs> no, I don't think there has been for the full thing. I know there was definitely a Megas Percent one maybe two years ago, maybe last year. I don't remember exactly when, I, but it was I definitely, definitely remember one. seeing some, yeah. Yeah. In fact, the main reason I know that exists is because Punk uh, entered that tournament. And so we ended up watching a few of Punk's races in it and getting to know some of the guys in that community who, by the way, awesome, awesome speedrunning community. So many just fun, good people in that community. Definitely worth getting to know them, even if you're not looking to actually run the game itself. And I will say, and maybe I've been lucky, uh, because I've only been in quote-unquote speedrunning communities kind of since the beginning of Randomizer League 1. That, that's kind of where I started joining any kind of speedrunning community, if, if you want to call it that. Um, I've lucked out in all the speedrunning communities that I've joined or taken any kind of part in have all been actually pretty much full of awesome people. Uh, the, uh, the elitism that I was kind of expecting out of top runners, I have not seen. No, that's fair. I, I can't honestly say that I've seen any of that myself. I would say this, at least for the communities I've been involved in and got to know, the vast majority of the quote-unquote toxic element of the community are very rarely anywhere near the top if there's any actual existence of toxicity to begin with. Yeah. Like, it, it, once again, hearkening to Super Metroid, because it's what we know the most. You know, Zost is, what, third in the world? Dude is the nicest guy on the planet. I don't think... I think Zost has a uh, good few of the world records again, now. So, oh, does he? Okay. Uh, Last I looked, he was like... He was he had dropped down to third in a couple of them. Uh, uh, but dude is the nicest guy on the planet. Uh, he is, in fairness, insanely nice. Hopefully we'll manage to get him on here one day, because I would love to chat to him about... Just, I would just also love to listen. <laughs> like, you know. I would love to listen to that. Uh, <laughs> you're going to have to get people to just start nagging those to get in touch <laughs> and get on the podcast. But, uh, like, because I know he plays Symphony of the Night. I know he's done Great game. Legend of Zelda, Link to the Past, speedruns. You know, and he's been at or near the top in just about everything I've seen him speedrun. And that's impressive. You know, doing it in one game is impressive. Doing it in multiple games over an extended period of time, credit where it's due. Dude is a flat-out gamer. Much like Azure. That dude has joined... I've seen him in so many different randomizer uh, (sighs) races for so many different games. I'm like, I have a hard enough time learning one game. How... Oh, definitely. And seriously, anybody who may be coming into this or has not listened to all of the episodes, go and listen to the Arjda episode because the dude is so interesting to talk to about his experience within video games and particularly his experience within speedrunning. It's it's impressive. For so long. Oh, yeah. Back well, it really was a community and when it was like a game facts board again anybody listening who hasn't listened to it already go and listen to the Arjster episode because dude's just it's really a great listen it's a great listen 
No. I think we're probably done. <laughs> yeah, I think we've gone off track so many times, and it's been great fun. Thank you so much for joining me. and Thank you uh, for having me. I know you said you don't really have anything you want to shout out. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, ha- I have a Twitch channel, uh, <laughs> twitch.tv slash cheese reaver. I stream occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I go through spurts where sometimes you know I'll stream several times for a month or two, yeah, you know, several times a week for a month or two, and then I'll not stream at all for quite a while. Um, so you know if I'm there, feel free to come in and say hi. Um, yeah, that's that's the only thing I would even vaguely <laughs> want to shout out. Well, <laughs> I'm gonna add on top of that that if you do have a Twitch account, go and follow Cheese Reaver to show your love for the best name for any stream on Twitch. Seriously, Cheese Reaper, such an awesome dude. So, yeah, please go and check him out. And once again, thank you so much for joining me. This has been great fun. No, thank you, man. It's been fun. And to anyone who's listening, I hope you enjoyed. Thanks for listening and have a good one. Thanks for listening. And if you want to get in contact with the show, maybe you've got a question you want to hear asked or you'd like to suggest or be a future guest for the show, Maybe you just want to keep up with what's going on with the podcast or my life in general. You can find me on social media at YLIGP on Twitter, at YLIG underscore podcast on Instagram, and the Your Lives in Gaming podcast group on Facebook. Or drop me an email to yourlivesingaming at gmail.com. And thanks again for listening.